Hi, I'm your host, Susan Rosen. And today, I thought that I would just kind of do a little miscellaneous talk and podcast, looking at some of the various items and of information that I've read about and not go into really deep, deep dives like I usually do. There's a lot of information that just kind of comes out on a monthly basis in a lot of the newsletters that I get. Some of them are really kind of interesting. So I thought that I would just cover a few of those, which I thought might be interesting and valuable to everybody. One of the ones I wanted to talk about was that there is the old adage that you should take an aspirin every day to keep away cardiovascular disease and heart attacks, those kinds of things. Well, there were three, turns out there were three studies that were published last year in the summertime. All of them, interestingly enough, did not find where the aspirin was as helpful as they had thought it was going to be. Actually, the way that they put it is that the risk that you get from taking aspirin, which is excessive bleeding that you can get because the aspirin tends to thin your blood and stop it from clotting. What happens is that the risk of that is more than the value that people got in these studies. Now, there is one part of that that has kind of made the news, at least in this article, which is that when they just look at people who weigh less than 154 pounds, they find that at that point, then the cardiovascular events did go down by twice as many as when they looked at at least twice as percentage-wise, as when they looked at it for the whole entire group. And they actually looked at a number of studies, found that this was true. Therefore, I think what you need to take away from this is that if your doctor suggests that you start taking an aspirin a day, that you might want to ask him or her, if they've seen any of these latest studies, they could maybe take a look at those and then get back to you and tell you whether they think that it actually will be an advantage for you in trying to stay away from cardiovascular disease. Let's move on to another one, which is that they have found, which I thought was really interesting, it doesn't surprise me, that a simple written expression of gratitude can improve well-being for both the writer and the recipient. What they did was they asked people to write a letter of thanks or gratitude and send it to someone else, and then they followed up with that person and found out whether that actually made them feel better as well. And the reason that they that they looked into this 
is because they found that people are very often hesitant to write or to send a letter of thanks or gratitude because they really underestimate the positive impact on the recipient and they overestimate how awkward the recipient may feel when they get this letter. I think that it makes a lot of sense. I know myself that when I express gratitude, it makes me feel better and it has always made the other person feel better, even if they seem a little embarrassed sometimes. But I think in the long run, they do appreciate my expressing my appreciation for them. Let's see. The next one I wanted to talk about is that they found having a stroke can double your dementia risk. And they said that people who have a stroke are about twice as likely to develop dementia than people who don't have a stroke. This was found in a review of studies that actually involved 3.2 million people, mostly older adults, and that was worldwide. They've got a pretty big study group that they're looking at, and it's really kind of interesting because the analysis, which came out of England and the University of Michigan, the Exeter Medical School in England and the University of Michigan, they didn't say whether the risk of dementia was higher for a certain kind of stroke, which is the most common kind caused by a blood clot, or whether it was the kind caused by an artery bleeding in the brain. So they didn't give that kind of detail on the study. So we really don't know. But the researchers were hoping to determine whether differences in post-stroke care and lifestyle changes actually could lower the dementia risk in people who've had a stroke. What they found was that stroke prevention may decrease your risk for dementia. If you can prevent a stroke by getting high blood pressure and diabetes under control, if you engage in regular physical activity, if you consume and eat heart healthy foods, maintain a healthy weight, and you don't smoke, then if you've had a stroke and you follow the same advice from your doctor that they usually tell people to prevent a second stroke, that may include taking medications to control blood pressure or cholesterol or diabetes, as well as an antiplatelet medication such as aspirin vis-a-vis -vis the first area that I talked about, or an anticoagulant drug such as warf warfarin, that that may decrease your risk for dementia. That's very interesting. I think there's still so much about that whole area, strokes and dementia and cardiovascular health and how they're all related to each other. They're still it's still really early days, I think, on trying to find out more information and how these things really do affect one another. Here's another one that I thought was really interesting. 
And you'll, you can tell from this that I really like these kinds of items. This one found that positive attitudes about aging may protect your cognition or your, your brain and not going into dementia. This was a study that came out of Yale University. It suggested that people who have positive beliefs about aging may have a reduced risk of cognitive impairment and dementia. This study actually involved almost 4,800 people. They had an average age of 72, and they were all free from dementia at the start of the study. They watched them over four years. They found that the participants with positive attitudes had a lower risk. It wasn't a lot. It was only 2.6%, but it was lower of developing dementia than those with negative attitudes. Well, actually, it was kind of double, I guess. The ones with the positive attitudes had a 2.6 rate of developing dementia, and those with negative attitudes had a 4.6%, which is almost, almost two times. I think that's pretty significant. They also said that attitudes about aging are largely shaped by our culture and life experiences, and that clinical trials involving older people have shown that positive age beliefs can be bolstered and negative age beliefs can be mitigated with corresponding changes in cognitive and physical performance, according to the researchers. Not exactly sure what that means. I'll have to think about that a little more. It can't hurt to be as positive as your circumstances allow is what the researchers came out with. Do all you can to enjoy life, take care of yourself, eat right, don't smoke, exercise daily, reduce stress. All of the things that so many other studies have come out with having to do with a lot of other issues as well. Interesting how all of these healthy activities and healthy habits have such a huge impact on how we feel, how well we age, how happy we are, which of course also has to do with the happiness curve that we talked about a couple weeks ago. There was one other one that I thought was kind of interesting here, and I have to find it. Here it is. They found that actually exercise is better than weight loss drugs at reducing deep abdominal fat. For a long time that if you take the weight loss drugs, that that will get rid of a lot of this visceral fat, which is the kind that is surrounds your internal organs. But it turns out all of the studies in this analysis that was done, most of them involved exercise alone, and they found that visceral fat, which they measured via CT scan or an MRI, or excuse me, not MRI, MIRI scan, they found aerobic exercise reduced the visceral fat the most. Though strength training also kind of helped, but it was really mostly the aerobic exercise. At the same time, it can build lean tissue, muscle and bone, as well as 
not producing any weight loss, but the fat still goes away. So what they came out with from this study was focusing on weight loss alone to monitor the success of exercise may underestimate its metabolic benefits. One more I'm going to talk about. They did a study to find out there's this old adage of beer before wine and you'll feel fine and that you shouldn't have wine before you have beer. These researchers conducted a study and they were trying to find out what kind of a hangover and how bad of a hangover you got depending on which way you drank in excess, of course, whether it was beer and then wine or wine and then beer. And what they found was that it really doesn't matter. Either way you do it, you're likely to get an equally bad hangover. So I thought that was, that was great. This was a German study and it was published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. They had 90 volunteers, ages 19 to 40, generally healthy and customary drinkers. They were split into three groups. One drank a fair amount of beer followed by white wine. The second did the reverse. And the third drank only wine or only beer. The participants stopped drinking when they reached set breath alcohol levels or earlier if desired. Then they went and they talked to the participants the next day who told them how their hangover symptoms or what their hangover symptoms were. And a week later, two of the groups reversed their order of beverages and the people in the third group switched beverages. So if they had done beer before, then they switched to wine or vice versa. Then they went and talked to them again to find out what their hangover symptoms were. Turns out in the end, neither the type nor the order of beverages significantly altered hangover intensity. And not surprisingly, the best predictors of hangover intensity were perceived drunkenness during and after drinking and vomiting. Yeah, that sure makes sense to me. That's it for today. I wanted to just remind you that I'm not a doctor and that nothing that I talk about is considered to be medical advice. And if you do have any sorts of issues, you should go see your own doctor about it. I am going to next time talk about a book that I'm reading that is called Eat to Beat Disease, which is really interesting and gives a lot of really good information. So I am really looking forward to doing that podcast, but I haven't finished the book yet, which means that I didn't feel that I should be talking about it or reviewing it yet. But I'm going to do that in the next podcast. In the meantime, if you could leave me a comment and if you could like the podcast, I would love that. Or come to the Facebook group, which is Healthy Tips After 50, and like that. I would love to hear what you're thinking of about the podcast so far, if you like it. One of the funny things that I just found out, because someone asked me, and to tell you the truth, I didn't know how to do it, was that I've been asking everybody to give comments, particularly say on the Apple podcast, and I didn't even know how you could do that on your iPhone, but I figured it out. So it turns out that under the shows, you can, 
if you go all the way down to the bottom of the window, that's where you can put number of stars and you can also put a comment in there. So if you feel like it, I would love it if you do that. I just hope that you're enjoying these and that you're getting some good information out of them. I'm certainly enjoying doing it for you. That's it for today. I'll look forward to talking to you all next week.